Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, I tell the story of Yasmin Akri, who disappeared on January 15th, 2008, from Chicago, Illinois. The night Yasmin was last seen, she was at home after being dropped off. She did laundry and then went to bed. But the next morning, Yasmin was gone. The back door had been forced in, and the lock that kept the gate closed had been cut. Initially, Yasmin was thought to have gone to school, but when she didn't return home that afternoon, she was reported missing. Police believed at first that she was a runaway and failed to investigate her disappearance properly. 15 years later, Yasmin has never been found. What happened to Yasmin? And who is responsible for her disappearance? This is Yasmin's story. The hardest part about telling stories like Yasmin's is the realization of how many young Black girls never got a chance. I grew up in an environment that was the complete opposite of Yasmin's, and it breaks my heart because all little girls deserve joy and happiness. They deserve to be protected and love. And yet, So many are not. Like some of the other stories of teenage girls we've covered over the past few weeks, Tiani and Latasha, these girls all dealt with significant traumas at pivotal points in their young lives. And those traumas were related to things that happened to their parents, specifically their mothers. Black women who were also victims, either of a crime or of their circumstances. The trauma is so often generational. Yasmin Akri was a 15-year-old girl who disappeared and was initially considered a runaway by police. Her past, her issues at home, and the fact that she was a Black girl living in Chicago all contributed to the dismissal that something bad had happened to her. Now, 15 years after she went missing, Yasmin has never been found. Yasmin was born on October 25, 1992 in Kentucky. She was born to Joyce Ackery and had an older brother named Demarcus. Life from the beginning was hard for Yasmin and her brother. 
According to reports, Joyce was severely addicted to drugs, and that led to Child Protective Services getting involved and eventually removing the children from Joyce's custody. Yasmin and DeMarcus were just toddlers when they were placed into foster care. The social worker cited serious neglect by Joyce as the reason. Removing a child from the custody of their parents is sometimes necessary, especially when that child is being abused or neglected by their parents. Sadly, however, being placed in the system for so many children does not stop the abuse. Many current and former children in foster care report being abused by foster parents or in group homes. Of course, there are foster parents out there that are doing God's work, taking in children who are from horrible situations and sometimes having to deal with difficult behaviors as a result of their traumas, and they're doing the best they can to provide them with some stability and love. But for Yasmin and Demarcus, when they were taken from Joyce, they spent years suffering even more abuse. According to the Chicago Tribune, Yasmin and her brother were moved around from foster homes and group homes. During that time, they were subjected to abuse, both physical and sexual. For years, they were moved from place to place until they moved in with Ricky and Debbie Keithley in 2001. At the time, Yasmin was only six, but the years of abuse and neglect had already begun to manifest itself into behavior problems. The Keithleys lived in Junction City, Kentucky, where they had a farm raising livestock. The couple said that when Yasmin came to live with them, she was angry. Ricky Keithley told the Chicago Tribune that it was, quote, F this and F that when it came to Yasmin. But they did their best to help Yasmin and DeMarcus and give them some semblance of normalcy. They said Yasmin really enjoyed feeding the calves on the farm, and DeMarcus would help Ricky with various tasks around the farm. They lived with the Keithleys for three years and eventually started calling them mom and dad. Sadly, however, for Yasmin particularly, a lot of the damage had already been done during the years prior to living with the Keithleys. The emotional, physical, and sexual abuse that she endured left her with issues around boundaries with both children and adults. It was recommended by caseworkers and therapists that work with Yasmin that she had a safety plan to protect her from further abuse. And they also recommended that she should not be left alone with other children to protect both herself and the other children. In their time with Ricky and Debbie, they had grown to look at the children as their own and had hoped to be able to adopt Yasmin and Demarcus. But Joyce, who was still battling her drug addiction, had other desires. She wanted her children to be with family. Their aunt by marriage, Rose Mae Starnes, who was living in Chicago, agreed to take the children in and adopt them. Rose told the Chicago Tribune that she was reluctant to take the children at first, but had done so because they were family. In 2001, Yasmin and DeMarcus left Kentucky and moved to Chicago with their aunt. The adjustment once again to a new home and now a completely new city and state was difficult for children who had already been through so much. And Rose may not have understood the magnitude of the situation or what these children would need to heal properly. Once with Rose, Yasmin continued to exhibit troubling behavior. Like in Kentucky, therapists warned Rose about leaving Yasmin alone with other children. It had been recommended that Yasmin be given intensive therapy and mental health services. 
but it's not clear how much of those things were given. In order to discipline the children who were exhibiting difficult behaviors, Rose resorted to beating them with belts and extension cords. When describing the children, Rose said in a later interview that, quote, they'd fuss and fight. They were so hyper. They talked back. When speaking about DeMarcus, she said that, quote, he was a real mischievous child. I whipped him. DeMarcus was just a hard head. I used an extension cord. DeMarcus, however, recalled things differently and said that the quote-unquote discipline went too far. Quote, I was beat all the time, locked in the basement. Nobody in my family had enough heart to speak up for me or my sister. In 2006, the children were officially adopted by Rose. Despite the issues that Yasmin had been experiencing both internally and at home, she managed to be a star student throughout elementary and middle school. She attended May Elementary Community Academy, where she received excellent grades and participated in extracurricular activities. During her eighth grade year, she won a regional spelling bee, and she was named salutatorian for her middle school class. People who knew Yasmin described her as smart and popular. When she wasn't at school, Yasmin had begun going to the local YMCA, where she played several different sports. But high school was different for Yasmin, and she began to struggle with keeping her grades up. Things at home continued to be difficult. In 2007, DeMarcus was only 16 years old when Rose kicked him out of the house. It's not clear what caused her to put him out, but it left Yasmin alone. That fall, she began classes at Austin Polytechnical Academy and had gone from being the salutatorian in eighth grade to struggling with her grades. But it was something that she was aware of, and she wanted to bring her grades up. In October 2007, according to the Chicago Tribune, she wrote to her teacher saying, quote, I have three Ds. I can improve them by doing more work and paying attention, but I got the grades I deserve. Yasmin knew that she could do better in school because she had always been a good student. But I'm sure the confusion at home and her own internal struggles were making success at school even harder. People who remember Yasmin from the YMCA and school didn't know what was going on at home. It wasn't something that she spoke about. From the outside looking in, she appeared to be a pretty normal teenager, but things were far from normal for Yasmin. Before he moved out, she and DeMarcus shared a room in the basement of the duplex that Rose owned. DeMarcus said that they never got any sunlight in the room. Quote, it wasn't a good situation, their grandfather John Lewis told the Chicago Tribune. He said that he would try to have the kids at his house on the weekend when Rose would let him. Quote, I imagine it was pretty lonesome down there, being down in that basement by yourself, he also said. The caseworker who worked with Rose and the children until their adoption in 2006 described her as a loving guardian. But it was clear that in many ways, Rose was not equipped with the things that Yasmin and DeMarcus needed in a guardian. I, of course, can't fully judge a situation that I was not there to witness, and she may have done the very best that she could, but life for Yasmin and her brother was never stable. Rose told the Tribune that she loved Yasmin, but she did beat her and would lock her in the basement at times. But she said she did it because, quote, I didn't want people finding out about Yasmin, and I didn't want Yasmin doing things to other kids. 
And Yasmin did have problems. Her brother DeMarcus said that, quote, my sister was a troubled child. You have to tell the whole truth or people can't understand the story. Yasmin's story is complicated. There are so many things that happened to this young girl in such a short time. It's no wonder she struggled with her behavior and mental health. By 2007, Yasmin was only 15 years old, but most of the adults in her life up until that point had failed her. After DeMarcus was thrown out of the house, Yasmin was now living alone in the basement. And despite the fact that they fought like siblings, other than the abuse, DeMarcus had been the only constant thing in her life. On January 15, 2008, Yasmin went to school and then to the YMCA like she normally did. Rose had traveled to Elgin, Illinois to go to a casino with her daughter for a couple days, leaving Yasmin essentially alone. At the time, Charles Burt, a boyfriend of Rose's, was living in the building, renting a room. But that day, Yasmin had gone to school and then the Y. Rose wasn't planning to come back until the next day. When she was done at the Y, she was dropped off at home at around 8 p.m., where Yasmin went inside and did her laundry. Charles said that he saw her that night before she went down to her room in the basement. The next morning, January 16, 2008, after Charles woke up, he said that he went to take the trash out when he noticed that the basement door had been forced open. He said that the padlock that was on the gate had been cut and the door jam was busted. Charles said that he went into the basement and saw that Yasmin was gone. He said that when he didn't find Yasmin in the basement, he just assumed that she had left for school. And so he called Rose to tell her about the door. Charles told the Chicago Tribune, quote, I told May, hey, the basement door, somebody cut the lock. The door is wide open. And then he left and went to work. Rose later told the Tribune that she never got the call because she didn't have a good signal where she was. Now, while Rose was miles away at the casino, she thought that Yasmin had gone to school that morning. Little did she know that by the time she arrived home later that evening, Yasmin had been missing for hours and no one knew. No one in Yasmin's life knew what happened. But by the time anyone figured it out, hours had gone by. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I think we can all think of a time in our lives where we were uncertain about where we were going. Sometimes in life, we're faced with tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear. Whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. Therapy has so many benefits. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suitable to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist 
and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash girlgone today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash girlgone. On January 15th, 2008, 15-year-old Yasmin Akri came home from the Y, did her laundry, and went to bed. The next morning, she was gone. And the basement door where she slept had been forced in. At first, her adopted mom's boyfriend thought she had gone to school. But when Yasmin never returned back home, her family knew that something had happened to her. After spending two days in Elgin, Illinois at a casino, Rose, Yasmin's adopted mom, made her way back to Chicago. After winning about $6,000, she decided to make a few stops before going back to her house. She went and got a new cell phone, and then she went shopping at TJ Maxx and then had lunch at Olive Garden. She returned home sometime that afternoon, and Rose said that when she got to her home, her niece told her that her house had been broken into. Rose said that she asked Charles if he could fix the door, which he did. At around 5 p.m., Rose noticed that Yasmin was not home yet from school. She said she went down to the basement to see if she was there and noticed that her bed was not made. She said that's when it dawned on her that Yasmin was supposed to get out early that day, and so she should have been home hours ago. And that's when she began to put the pieces together. The broken door and padlock, the unmade bed, and now Yasmin had not come home. Rose decided that she needed to call the police and report her missing. At around 9.30, Rose began calling 911. She ended up calling police several times before they arrived 90 minutes after the first call at around 7 p.m. But once they got there and spoke to Rose, they decided that Yasmin was most likely a runaway. Rose told them about the broken door and showed them the padlock that had been cut but police did not collect any evidence from the scene or the door that had been broken. They did look around Yasmin's room, and there was no sign of a struggle. However, all of Yasmin's things were still there, including a pair of glasses that she wore. The only thing missing were the pajamas that she was wearing, her coat, and a pair of boots. But despite the initial signs that something may have happened to Yasmin, police were dismissive. They didn't even take the padlock with them that night when they left. Rose knew full well the issues that Yasmin had, but she also knew that she would not have run away. It just wasn't in her character. She had never run away before. Her grades had slipped that first semester of high school, but Yasmin was working on bringing them up. She also had gotten accepted into a mentorship program at the Y where she spent her free time, and was looking forward to a retreat that was happening that summer. Police, however, dismissed those facts initially and instead focused on things that better fit their narrative. According to the Chicago Tribune, they spoke to a few of Yasmin's classmates who told them that she had run away. And they even told police that Yasmin had called them from a cell phone, something that was later proven through phone records to be false. 
And then the girls later admitted that they lied to police. Why? No one knows. A couple days after the initial report, police came back to Rose's home. This time, they took the padlock that had been cut so they could dust it for fingerprints. But they were unable to find any on the lock. They initially reported that there had been no signs of forced entry. In the months following Yasmin's disappearance, her family, friends, and community members organized vigils and searches of the area, but there was very little information coming forward about Yasmin's disappearance. It didn't take long for her family to begin calling out the Chicago PD for the way they handled Yasmin's disappearance. They, like many others in the community, believed that because she was a Black girl from the west side of Chicago, police did not care about her, and that is why they dismissed her as a runaway and failed to search for her. In July 2008, Rose, joined by clergy and other community members, held a rally in front of the department's Grand Central Headquarters. They cited the lack of attention they said Yasmin's case was getting and highlighted the fact that police did not collect a key piece of evidence until two days after Yasmin went missing. A reverend that was there that day said, quote, because she's a 15-year-old African-American honor student from the West Side, this case is not getting the attention it deserves. The police, however, pushed back and said that they had dedicated 2,000 hours to this case and had sent several items to the crime lab. They also said that their investigation had led them across the country to California and Kentucky, where family members of Yasmin's lived. They defended their actions by saying that they had collected the evidence that they thought was relevant, but they said that there was a lack of cooperation from people who may have had information about Yasmin. They never indicated who those people were, and eventually they admitted that mistakes had been made early on in the investigation. In October 2008, Yasmin's 16th birthday came and went. And in the months since she disappeared, there had been no new information about her disappearance. Police had received very few leads, and no evidence had been found that led them to any real information. For over a year, there was nothing released related to this case. The local media didn't really cover the story much. Aside from the Chicago Tribune, there wasn't much interest in getting to the bottom of this mysterious disappearance. But in May 2009, things began to change when a man named Jimmy Terrell Smith was arrested. According to reports, Jimmy Terrell Smith was arrested after he abducted two girls, ages 14, and two women, ages 21 and 22, from a home in the Inglewood neighborhood of Chicago while they were having a sleepover. He took them to an abandoned garage in the suburb of Harvey and then raped all four victims and choked two of them until they passed out. He then left them in the garage, bound with rope and tape. The four were able to escape and run to a nearby business where the police were called. And not long after, Jimmy Terrell Smith was arrested and charged with rape and kidnapping. When the story aired about his arrest, Rose was watching the news, and when they flashed his picture, she saw a familiar face. Jimmy had lived in the duplex that Rose owned. In September 2005, 
He moved in after being released from prison after serving a 10-year sentence for attempted murder. His father was a longtime friend of Rose and her family and was living in the building already. He had been running a room that was in the basement next to where Yasmin and Demarcus slept. But when Jimmy came to live there, Rose said that she had the father and son move to the second floor because she didn't want Jimmy near the children. While Jimmy lived on the second floor, he supported himself by selling drugs, but he began taking an inappropriate interest in Yasmin. One time at a family gathering, Jimmy was seen giving Yasmin a beer and stroking her hair. And DeMarcus told the Chicago Tribune that he would tell her that she looked like Stacey Dash. But Rose never mentioned to police that a convicted felon had lived in her building or that he had known Yasmin. She said when Yasmin first went missing, Jimmy was the first person that came to mind, but she didn't want to falsely accuse someone. Quote, you don't really want to put a finger on someone and risk falsely accusing them, she told the Tribune. But when she saw that Jimmy had been arrested, she decided that it was finally time to tell police about him. It was a year and a half later when police found out that Jimmy Terrell Smith was connected to Yasmin. While he was in jail awaiting trial on the multiple rape charges, detectives questioned him about Yasmin's disappearance. It's not known what he told detectives, but it would ultimately be the reporting of the Chicago Tribune that would shine a light on exactly how close Jimmy was connected to this case. In 2011, Rose sat down with reporters from the Chicago Tribune to discuss Yasmin's case. As part of their interview, they went through personal belongings of hers, and inside a box, they found her diary, something that police had missed. As they began to read Yasmin's diary, they learned that Jimmy Terrell Smith wasn't just an upstairs neighbor and son of a family friend. He had been abusing Jasmine, and she had been chronicling parts of their inappropriate relationship in her diary. She refers to him as Terrell, and in two entries, writes about missing him. It was obvious from the diary entries that Jimmy Terrell Smith, a man twice Yasmin's age, had been preying on her. After finding the diary, the Chicago Tribune reporters interviewed Jimmy in jail on three separate occasions. In those interviews, he told them that he had information about Yasmin's disappearance. He told them that he knew what happened to her, but would not go into detail. He also told them that he was responsible for four murders that police didn't know about, but he wasn't going to say anything about that either. But even after the discovery of the diary and the information about Jimmy, no one was charged and Yasmin was still missing. In the years since her disappearance, there's been no new information about her case. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has provided age-progressed photos of Yasmin, who would be 30 now, but her case has gone cold. In the years after Jimmy's arrest, he was accused of stabbing his public defender with a shank, trying to hire a hitman to kill the judge and prosecutor in his case, hiding weapons in his cell, and recording a talk show on a laptop that was smuggled into the jail. But after years of delays, in March 2016, Jimmy, representing himself, pled guilty to the rape and kidnapping charges. He was sentenced to 110 years in prison. 
In 2019, he was convicted for the murder-for-hire plot. Jimmy, to this day, has not admitted to anything related to Yasmin's disappearance and has not been charged. However, he does remain a person of interest. It's now been 15 years since Jasmine Acri went missing. Her adopted mother, Rose, has since passed away. And although Yasmin's family doesn't believe she's still alive, they have not given up their fight to find out what happened to her. Yasmin's story is a tragic story of a child who never got a chance. From the moment she was born, her life was one obstacle after the other. But her life mattered, and she deserved a chance to know what it felt like to be really happy. Whoever is responsible for what happened to Yasmin is a monster who ripped a child away from her life and her potential. Her story is another story that we have to add to our list of those that we should never forget. It's the least that we can do. Yasmin Ekri was last seen on January 15, 2008, on the west side of Chicago. She was 15 years old. If you have any information about Yasmin's disappearance, please contact the Chicago PD. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Threads. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.